The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. It is estimated two out of three Australian adults are classified as being overweight or obese, and sadly this statistic is predicted to get worse in the future. More and more people with BMIs of over 40 are turning to bariatric surgery to help them lose weight. Making an informed decision about undertaking any surgical procedure is paramount. So today on MediTalk, we speak with Dr. Siva Sundarajan, a general and bariatric surgeon at St. John of God Hospital in Subiaco. Dr. Siva Sundarajan will help us better understand gastric bypass surgery, which is actually considered the gold standard operation for weight loss. So how many Australians are currently struggling with obesity? Well, Danae, obesity is a very common problem in Australia today. Believe it or not, there are more than 12 million Australians who are struggling with obesity at the moment. In the last Australian census that was done in about 2017, uh, they found that uh, 67% of the Australian population were either overweight or obese. And that's a pretty staggering number as it is. But the future looks even worse. Uh, it is projected that three out of four Australians will be facing obesity by 2025. Most of the patients uh, I tend to see are uh, after they're beyond their 40s. Mm. So... Um, Thankfully, it is a less of a problem in people in their 20s and 30s uh, compared to the older age group. But the reality is uh, we're also facing a big childhood obesity problem. So one in four children are facing obesity at the moment, and that is uh, projected to go up to one in three. So I suspect in the future we will be seeing more and more young people who are obese. And then how are you categorised in terms of when you've you've reached obesity? Is it over so, a BMI? So we use the BMI or the body mass index as a criteria where the, a person with a healthy weight would have a BMI of between 20 and 25. Anything more than 25, you're carrying excess weight. Mm -hmm. So from 25 to 30, you're classed as overweight. Beyond 30, you're obese. And there are varying degrees of obesity. So there is a uh, um, obese is more than 30, uh, very obese is more than 35, uh, you're morbidly obese if more than 40, and if your BMI is more than 50, you're classed as super obese. How many people then are turning to uh, gastric bypass surgery to, to try and uh, really lose that weight that they're struggling with? There are lots of different options for weight loss surgery. Mm -hmm. Gastric bypass is just one of them. Uh, about 20% of the operations we do for weight loss are gastric bypasses. And that number is very variable depending on where you are. Uh, as an example, in the United States and uh, in Europe, about three quarters of the operations they do are gastric bypasses, whereas uh, in Australia it's, it's 20%. And uh, we do a lot more sleeves. That makes up about three quarters of our cases. And it also depends on... Uh, um, the surgeon's skill set. Not everyone is trained to do gastric bypass. It is a complex procedure that requires a, a more advanced laparoscopic skills. And so if you're not formally trained in it, 
you may not be able to offer it as an option for your patients. So then can you explain it? Because it does sound complex. Uh, what's involved? With the um, gastric bypass, um, you have a general anaesthetic and your surgeon will make some small incisions in your abdomen through which uh, you insert a camera and various instruments um, and then you proceed with the operation. Now that part is standard for all the bariatric operations. With a bypass, there are two main components. Uh, the first part involves making a small stomach pouch and the second part involves attaching or joining a segment of the small intestine to that stomach pouch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's essentially the gastric bypass. There are two common um, variations to it. The standard bypass, also called the Roux and Y bypass, uh, in that you will do the first part, do the pouch, and you will measure out a set length of small intestine, and you divide it, and you attach one end to the pouch, and the other end gets joined further downstream to the small intestine. In the other common variation known as the mini bypass or the omega loop gastric bypass, you do not divide the bowel. You measure out a length and you join a loop of that small intestine to that stomach pouch. So then why would you have one or the other? Uh, There are advantages to to both. Uh, In patients who have uh, severe reflux disease, uh, the Roux-en-Y bypass uh, is a better option. Um, The mini bypass uh, came along a lot later, and it, it's a slightly simpler procedure. You only need to do one joint rather than two. But there is a risk that patient can uh, get bile reflux. So it's the way the food and the digestive enzymes travel through the gut. So in, a, in the Roux-en-Y bypass, the food and the digestive enzymes and bile meet further downstream, and they do not have the opportunity to come back into the stomach pouch. With the mini-bypass, uh, it is a loop, and so the bile and, en- and enzymes travel a circuit and they meet the food at the, uh, at the joint. Mm-hmm. And so there's a risk that that bile can travel up the pouch and give you reflux. And then how long uh, is someone in surgery for? How long do these surgeries the, the take? The operation uh, takes roughly about two hours. Um, and uh, if it's a revision operation where they've had a previous bariatric procedure and you're doing this, Uh, as a revision procedure, it can take longer. Uh, It can take three, four hours, uh, Mm. depending on the complexity. And then how safe is it? All surgery have risk associated with it. Uh, With a gastric bypass, the overall risk is about 4%. And um, this can be broken down to several um, categories, such as short-term risk. So the short-term risk uh, will involve bleeding, uh, infection, You can get a leak from the joint or the staple line. Um, You can get narrowing of the joint that we make um, or other general things such as clots in the leg. Long-term effects are more to do with nutritional problems. So if um, patients don't take the nutritional supplements, uh, they can get uh, micronutrient deficiencies. Um, There's another condition called dumping syndrome, uh, they can develop where uh, there is uh, rapid delivery of nutrients to the small intestine and that leads to a cascade of events and uh, people get a, this constellation of symptoms. They get uh, cramping uh, in their tummy, they get sweating, they can get dizzy, um, but that usually settles by about three months. 
And are all those things manageable? You know, they're, they're all manageable. Yep. And uh, gastric bypass is not the only operation with those risks. Those mm. exist with the other operations as well, with a sleeve gastrectomy or with a band. Um, but the bypass is probably the most complex procedure. And because you are creating new joints, uh, the risk is higher. Um, as a comparison, the risk of a leak in a gastric bypass is between 2 to 4%. In a sleeve, it's 1 to 2%. So it is not, in, in terms of raw numbers, yes, it is double the risk. But if you look at the absolute value, it's not as much. Do you think people, when they're, you know, considering having surgery for weight loss, that they're sort of summing up, okay, uh, there's going to be a risk involved with surgery, but there's also a risk with continuing to be overweight? The risk from obesity starts to increase if your, your BMI goes up to more than 40. So in people who maintain excess weight long term, so, and they are significantly or morbidly obese, your life expectancy can be shortened significantly. So mm. there are studies that have demonstrated that um, patients can lose up to 10 to 12 years of their lifespan wow. as a result of their morbidity. And you, there, uh, there was a study published in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine a few years ago, which uh, showed that uh, worldwide about 4 million people die every year because of obesity. Really? Gosh. I think we don't see weight that way. I think sometimes we view weight as it's just for looks or, you know, but not the health benefits of losing weight and people underestimate the risk to diabetes and cardiovascular disease and um, and how much it can benefit those other risk factors. Is that That's correct? correct. That's yeah. correct. So is gastric bypass surgery better than having the sleeve? I wouldn't say the sleeve is a better operation. It is a different operation. Mm -hmm. uh, all these options have their risk benefit and you have to individualize the treatment to a patient. Um, there is a, a belief both amongst patients and, and surgeons that uh, the bypass is an extreme measure and should only be reserved as a last resort. Uh, I do not feel that way. Um, I certainly regard it as a tool um, and you have to pick the right tool for the right job. Mm. So whilst uh, the majority of patients will do well with the sleeve, they'll achieve adequate weight loss, they will have a resolution of uh, some of their obesity-associated illnesses, uh, it is not a one-size-fits-all kind of operation. Uh, there are some patients who will do much better with a bypass than they will with a sleeve. And uh, you've mentioned there's gastric bypass surgery and sleeve. Are there any other options that they would discuss with you? Um, in the past, we used to do um, a lot of gastric bands, um, but uh, that's slowly gone away um, as a result of uh, the poor long-term results. And it's very labour-intensive procedure where the patients will need to keep uh, coming back for follow-up and they'll need the volume of fluid in their balloon or the, the lab band adjusted. Uh, and that can be quite difficult to do. If you put too much in, they will keep vomiting all the time and they don't have a good quality of life. If you put too little, then they can eat whatever they want and they won't achieve their weight loss. So there's a very fine line uh, that can be very hard to maintain. So how do you know if you're a good candidate for gastric bypass surgery then? Uh, with gastric bypass 
about uh, a good candidate for gastric bypass uh, would have severe reflux disease, uh, would be a diabetic and have a high BMI, so BMI more than 40. Uh, there'll be good characteristics for patients seeking a gastric bypass. Uh, if you don't have any of those, uh, then a sleeve might actually be a better option for them. And it's worthwhile having a detailed discussion with your surgeon before making a, a decision on what you want to have done. And then what would you need to do before you would come for surgery? Uh, before surgery, um, it starts with the initial consultation. So you would have a, a discussion with your surgeon about the risks, the benefits, the technique of surgery, the recovery, um, so that you can make an informed decision uh, about what is right for you. Uh, you will also need to see the dietitian uh, and get a detailed assessment of your nutritional your habits um, and uh, go through your diet regime post-surgery. You may need uh, various investigations, so the common ones will include uh, several blood tests to determine a baseline of your nutritional status. Uh, you will need a gastroscopy. Um, not everyone does the gastroscopy, but I do it in all my patients. That helps me uh, exclude any hiatus hernia, um, any presence of reflux disease, and any incidental lumps that might be there in the stomach. Um, some patients will also need a sleep study done mm. because with a high BMI, uh, they can have a condition called obstructive sleep apnea where they stop breathing during the night. And that will impact on the post-operative care uh, about where they're going to be managed, whether they need to be monitored in a high dependency unit or whether they can be managed in the normal ward. It's good to thoroughly know what they'll be up for yep. before. And and I've heard, do they actually do people need to lose some weight before they actually come for surgery, or is that just a myth? <laughs> uh, they do not need to lose uh, any weight uh, in a compulsory sort of fashion. But all patients uh, will be put on a very low calorie diet, uh, which usually involves a some sort sort of a diet shake. Uh, and they'll need to take that for between two to three weeks before the surgery. And if done properly, most patients would lose between five to 10 kilograms. What's the recovery time like? Um, because I'd imagine people are trying to plan this type of surgery into their life and they might be working full time. Mm -hmm. How many weeks would they expect to maybe have to take time off work? In general, the first two weeks are probably the hardest. And uh, I usually advise all my patients to set aside two weeks so that they can get used to their new diet regime, uh, get over the pain from the surgery and increase their mobility. So a minimum of two weeks off work. If your work involves more physical activity, then you might uh, need to take four weeks off work. Um, but that's something that we can discuss and facilitate with the employer and do it as we go along. Yeah. And then in terms of what can't you eat? Are there things that you really shouldn't eat after you've had this type of surgery? Uh, following a gastric bypass, uh, large meals are not possible, oh. uh, which is a big advantage. Uh, another big uh, advantage is uh, that you cannot eat any refined or sugary food, uh, and that will lead to uh, something called dumping syndrome that we spoke about earlier, hmm. where you have this rapid delivery of uh, sugar into the small intestine, and you get no cramps, sweating, dizziness. So uh, I recall a patient who called me 
uh, a few weeks after surgery, uh, saying that she thought she was going to uh, she was going to die. Something oh. terrible was going to happen. And uh, when you inquire further, she just had some chocolate custard. Oh, really? Um, and when you speak to her about the symptoms she has, it's a classic dumping syndrome. So when she stopped um, taking those type of food, uh, she was fine. Right. The other uh, food that people often struggle with uh, is bread and pasta. Uh, they tend to absorb more water, uh, and so they can't sit in the pouch and expand. Uh, and same with fizzy drinks. Um, they can also blow up the pouch a bit more and so you will feel more uncomfortable. And it must be so hard because it becomes so habitual to eat and drink those things and then suddenly your body's reacting in a way that you can't have those things until you get into a different habit of not being able to have them. Correct. Um, whilst uh, most patients I meet um, drink soft drinks, um, they often tend to stick to the diet variety uh, but that still will present problems for them uh, because of the the carbon dioxide uh, that's in the in the uh, drink. And so when they have uh, fizzy drinks, the the gas tends to expand, uh, and that can make them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, how much weight do people generally lose, and how long does it take to lose start losing that weight? With gastric bypass, uh, you can expect to lose between seventy to eighty percent of your excess weight. And that occurs uh, in the first three to six months. Um, the weight loss will continue up until about 18 months after surgery, but the greatest weight loss is in the first three to six months. That's amazing. Um, and then how does it affect women's ability to, to fall pregnant? All bariatric surgery affects uh, your fertility. So um, after weight loss surgery, uh, your fertility will almost certainly improve. So uh, I advise all patients to take added precautions um, and contraception to avoid falling pregnant. And the reason why we advise them to do this is um, when you have these procedures, uh, your body is trying to adjust to a new steady state. Uh, You'll be losing nutrients or not absorbing them. Uh, and if you fall pregnant in that time frame, um, the the baby also will need the nutrients. So it's a competition between the mum and the baby, mm. um, and so both might end up um, uh, having problems. And so in the first two to three years after uh, any bariatric operation, you should avoid pregnancy. Okay. So if I'm, I'm sure there's some uh, people that do come and see you because they're trying to fall pregnant and perhaps their their weight has been limiting um, that likelihood. So they would have to really plan out that journey for themselves in terms of coming for the bariatric surgery, waiting maybe a few years before they would be able to try for a child? That's correct. Um, So far I have uh, had two women who've approached me for the very same problem. Um, One of them um, had gone through IVF and it had failed multiple times. Uh, and uh, they were exploring weight loss surgery as an option mm. uh, to improve fertility uh, and start a family. Uh, and the other patient um, uh, did manage to fall pregnant before surgery, so um, she had put off a surgery for now, and uh, she will see me afterwards. And then what makes 
helps your successful outcome of after bariatric surgery. So what are some of the success stories that you've had and what have those patients done to be a success? The main thing you will need to do is a total lifestyle change. So these operations demand that you commit. It's a commitment to a a lifestyle where you maintain regular exercise, you follow the prescribed diet from the dietitian, uh, taking care uh, and watching what you eat, how much you eat, uh, the the quality of food. Um, And if you cannot commit to that lifestyle, um, then you will not get the best result out of the operation. The if I look back to the success stories I've had, um, one of the patients who I'm due to see next week, uh, it's been almost a year since his bypass. He's about 60 years old. Uh, he was in the military. Um, preoperatively, he had a severe reflux. Uh, he had um, severe sleep apnea. He was waking up about 40 times during the night, um, but because he was unable to tolerate the sleep apnea machine, um, he had to put up with a poor night's sleep. He was a diabetic uh, on insulin and uh, his joints were all giving him pain. So he could barely walk 200 meters before stopping. So he weighed about 135 kilograms when I first saw him. By three months, uh, he was off his insulin and off his uh, diabetic medications. He was almost off his blood pressure medications. He was, he was walking five kilometers a day. Wow. Um, and his sleep apnea, whilst it wasn't cured, he was uh, sleeping much better. He was waking up about four or five times a night compared to 40 times before. So it's a complete life change. Life change. Um, so I often tell my patients that these are not life-saving operations, uh, and at least not in the short term, but they're definitely life-changing operations. Mm. Uh, the other patient that I had is a young lady who had a gastric band put in about 10 years ago. And... Uh, she had really severe reflux uh, and she was taking about five times the, the amount of medication she should be taking for her reflux. Um, and the band was so tight that on um, uh, some imaging studies that we did, the contrast was barely going through the band. But she, can, she could eat whatever she wanted. So she came to me for surgery and uh, we did a uh, Roux-en-Y gastric bypass for her. And by six months, uh, she was off her reflux medications. Uh, she was losing weight and uh, she felt great. She started a new job and she couldn't thank me enough. Mm. Uh, these operations really transform people's lives. Mm. And, it, and they get their life back, don't they? Getting control right. of it's their It's a second life. chance. Yeah. And then what would happen in that situation? So she's had a lap band. Does that stay in there? How, how does that work? And then she has the gastric banding. In, oh, the um, gastric bypass. In most patients, uh, we would take the lab band out uh, and we would wait about three months uh, for all the swelling and all the inflammation to settle down. And then uh, you would do the second operation, which would be the gastric bypass. Um, with my training background in uh, Melbourne, um, the default operation was a bypass uh, unless... Uh, they had other problems uh, such as previous uh, pelvic surgery uh, where the small bell could potentially be stuck or adherent to the pelvis and so you may not be able to bring that up to do the bypass. 
in that case, uh, you can consider a sleeve operation. Um, but a lot of patients who have had previous uh, lap bands, they have some degree of uh, esophageal failure. So um, as a result, a sleeve uh, has less success than a bypass. And do you have people, you were saying before, some people might relapse or they might put that weight back on, sadly, um, and so they've got to come back and have surgery. Is that the same with a sleeve or whether you have bypass surgery? That's correct. Yeah. All, all these operations have a failure rate. So with the um, lab band, which which um, has now gone away, about 45 to 50% of patients can relapse. So at 10 years, uh, that's the number of um, patients who need a, another operation, either because they have not lost enough weight or they've put all the weight back on. With a sleeve gastrectomy, that figure is roughly about 20 to 25%. And with a bypass, it is about 5 to 10%. So um, when the risk from the operation increases, the overall success also increases. So at the end of the day, it's a balance about what risks uh, we should undertake and for what benefit. And are there some people that come to you and you, you can't perform surgery on, meaning that they they might consider they are overweight and they would like to come for surgery? Are there people you, you, that it's not a good option for them? Oh, certainly. Um, we, we have lots of inquiries about patients who wish to have weight loss surgery, but the current guidelines uh, for uh, weight loss surgery are that uh, if your BMI is more than 40, you certainly qualify. If it's more than 35 and you have a, a obesity-associated illness such as diabetes or sleep apnea, you would qualify. And if it's more than 30 but with poorly controlled diabetes, you would also qualify. Um, lots of patients whose BMI fall between 25 and 30, um, so they're overweight but not obese. Uh, the guidelines um, do not recommend surgery for them as their risk from obesity is a lot less than the risk from the surgery. And it's difficult to make patients understand that sometimes. Um, whilst you can appreciate that their weight is uh, playing a big role in their life and some of them have uh, depression, anxiety as a result of their weight, their BMI does not justify the risk. And putting them through an operation uh, and having a complication uh, may not be worthwhile. And then what about people you've, I'm sure you've, because you uh, do the sleep uh, apnea testing, have you seen people actually be able to lose that weight after surgery and then they don't need CPAP machines, perhaps people that have been using CPAP machines and suffering quite severe sleep apnea because you've said the strong association with um, being overweight, have they been able to actually do without their CPAP machines? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Because um, I don't know anyone that likes a CPAP machine. No, it's a, it, it looks like a horrible machine, and uh, I can't imagine. I mean, people uh, learn to live with, with it, but yeah, that's correct. I can't imagine sleeping with that uh, mask attached to your face. But um, it is a necessary evil in, in mm. their case. Uh, it keeps their air passage open. It gives them a better night's sleep, so they're not tired during work and other daytime activities, and. When I see patients uh, who have sleep apnea, I would recommend that they hire a machine rather than buy a machine um, because most of them will not need the machine at one year. That is amazing. 
And and also to see them exercising again, they must think they'd never think they were going to be like that. It's simple things that we take for granted. Um, the very first patient I did uh, after I had come back from my fellowship, uh, he was so grateful that he can walk around Kmart with his wife for the first time in 10 years. Wow. Uh, she usually uh, leaves him at the entrance and does really? the shopping and picks him up on the way back. Um, wow. And it was he was so grateful. Um, and he can get out of the car without somebody helping him. Mm. Um, he can tie his own shoelace. Uh, very, very simple things that most of us don't even think about. It makes such a big difference to them. Yeah, and just that we take for granted. Um, and it seems like we, it's going to be more of something that we need as Australians to be thinking about as an option if people are suffering from obesity and they don't see a way out that maybe um, considering surgery as an option. It is true. Um, one of the sad truths is... Uh, that of all the people who will benefit from surgery, we are operating on less than 1%. And there are various reasons for that. Uh, access to surgery is limited in the public sector. Um, and even in the private sector, um, the insurance uh, companies uh, have restrictions. Uh, and um, uh, most people... Um, find it difficult to access it. Mm. But for those that do or can consider planning and maybe going and um, seeing their health insurance people and planning for this surgery might be something that they consider in the future to help themselves lose the That's weight. Yeah. They definitely have to uh, do something about that um, because it will transform their lives. So out of all the things we've discussed, what are sort of three key messages that people should think about when they're considering having, um, you know, having weight loss surgery? And more importantly, we've discussed throughout this conversation, a gastric bypass surgery. What are three key messages? First thing I would say is that a gastric bypass is not an extreme measure. It is just another option and you will need to have a detailed discussion to determine if it is the most suitable procedure for you. The second thing uh, to take away is that um, with gastric bypass, uh, you will end up with nutritional problems if you do not take your supplements and do not come back for follow-up. So it is important you do that. Uh, And the last thing is uh, that gastric bypass is a very effective treatment uh, for reflux disease and weight loss and also resolution of uh, other problems such as diabetes. Um, So a detailed discussion with your specialist is important. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. A big thank you to Siva Sundarajan for sharing his knowledge with us today on Meditalk. And to learn more about Dr. Sundarajan and St. John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au and perthobesitysolutions.com.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.